Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Thank you, team. Appreciate you so very much. It's good to be back with you on our campus today. Uh, last Sunday, many of you know, is our City Group Sunday, uh, which is very special. We, we are just a big, we call it, we call it all, ourselves this all the time, a family of families, right? You hear us say that. We're a family of families. And on the first Sunday of every month, our families meet in different homes around central Arkansas. And so last Sunday we had uh, meetings going on all over from Benton all the way to Conway. Uh, and it was just always such a sweet time when those smaller families get together. It's just a way of us going, you know what matters is real relationships with one another. What matters is that we are on mission with each other. That's what matters. And so we live that out once a month, the first Sunday of every month. And that's what last Sunday was. Uh, if you're new to us, we're so glad that you're with us. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here. And we've been in a series in the Gospel of Mark. And if you've been paying attention, just in the first few weeks alone, Jesus is turning some heads, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, he's doing some stuff uh, around Galilee. He's doing some things that are, are significant. And we're seeing the, the authority and the presence and yet this incredible love of Jesus. Uh, in this series, we've seen Jesus preaching the gospel, healing people, casting out demons. Two weeks ago, we saw him do the unthinkable, right? He touches a leper. In the ancient world, you, you would never consider doing something like this. He touches a leper and then he heals him, showing that his heart, his love for this man, how great it is, not just the fact that he can heal him, but that he loves him, wants to bless him, right? So uh, after we see that, of course, last week we, in our city groups, we studied the uh, story of the paralytic let down through the roof. And Jesus does something else that's, uh, that was a little uh, shocking when he says that he cares a little bit more for the man's soul sickness more than his, his physical sickness. Right? He says, your sins are forgiven. Well, his friends are kind of going, what? We didn't let him down the roof and, and make a big scene in this huge place so that you can forgive his sins. Man, I, that wasn't necessarily what we were thinking. He's, he's, he's crippled. And yet Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Of course, the Pharisees freak out. <laughs> Who do you think you are that you can forgive sins? And Jesus basically says, so that you will believe I can forgive sins, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he does a visible miracle after the non-visible miracle he does in the man's life. And so we just, Jesus is doing these amazing things, uh, and actually they're scandalous, if you will. Scandalous to touch a leper, scandalous to say, I'm God and I can forgive sins. And yet today we get to also see the scandalous love of Jesus as he calls a tax collector of all people. As he spends time and enjoys spending time with sinners and tax collectors. It just reminded me how grateful I personally am for the scandalous love of Jesus in my life, right? That's what we get to study this morning. If you have your Bibles, look over in, in Mark chapter 2, verse 13. I'm going to read this out of the English Standard Version. It says this, verse 13. He went out again beside the sea. And all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to them, 
said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table at his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's the text we get to work with this morning. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for this beautiful story of your unbelievable love for us. The way you go to the marginalized and the hurting. The way you identify with people in such great need. God, we're so grateful. Lord, I pray that you would open your word to our hearts today, God, in a way that we can understand it. God, I pray that you give us the courage to be obedient to it to live it out, to hear what it is you want to say to us. And I pray, Lord, with all my heart that you would increase in this time, Jesus, and that I would decrease. God, that you would do exactly what you want to do in us for your glory and our good. We give you this time. Teach us now by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, I want to give us just a little context here. You might remember... Uh, A couple of weeks ago, Jesus had been going all over Galilee, and he's teaching, and he's healing, he's doing all these different things, and he's come back to his home base, if you will, which is Capernaum. This is the hometown of Peter, or Simon, and Andrew, and James, and John. This is where he saw them fishing. And this is, you know, Peter's home in Capernaum has sort of now become Jesus' home base. So this is the place. They've come back to Capernaum. And Jesus is, uh, he's, he's healed the man who's been let down through the roof. And our text comes in somewhere after that. We don't know if it's the next morning, the next week. We don't really know the timeline. But basically what has happened is we see Jesus doing this, this uh, cycle of what Jesus has been doing over and over again. Remember, we talked about there's a, a rhythm that we see in Jesus' life. Look at the very first verse. It says, he went out again beside the sea. What's Jesus doing? He gets away from the crowd to do what? To pray. To spend time with the Father. And I, I meant to bring a picture. I've taken a few pictures when I was in Capernaum. You have to take some pictures around the Sea of Galilee. It's gorgeous. And the fog sort of just sets in and it's just stunning. And I can just imagine Jesus walking along the, the shore line and, and, and praying and being with the Father. But he doesn't have very much time. Because he's so popular now that people just rush to him. And so people are coming to Jesus. Well, what does Jesus do in this rhythm? Well, he spends time with the Father, and then when people come around him or when he goes to towns, he does what? He preaches and he teaches. This is what Jesus does. So look what he does. All the crowd was coming to him, and he's teaching them. So he's just doing this rhythm over and over again. And, and this is what we see that he, he's doing. And, and Mark gives us this interesting details of his next pick of a disciple. Look at verse 14 with me. He says, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. 
Now, Mark's going to give us some details here that I don't want us to miss, okay? Number one, the name Levi is a Jewish name. His father, Alphaeus, is a Jewish name. What's Mark trying to tell us about Levi? He's a Jew, right? From a Jewish family. But he's also told us that he is a tax collector. To be a Jew and a tax collector is very taboo. It's a horrible thing. You are a hated person if you're a Jew and a tax collector. Now, of course, we're also, if you haven't picked up on this, we're also talking about Levi is the Jewish name for uh, who we know in his Greek name to be Matthew. Matthew, the gospel writer, the first of the gospels in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So he's going he's gonna to end up doing some amazing things. This is what you would call now in the movie industry the origin story, if you will, of Matthew, right? Or Levi in his Jewish name. So Jews hate tax collectors. And this is why. They see them as traitors to their own race, to their own religion. I was trying to think of something we could connect to uh, in this. And I was thinking, you remember when we were at war with uh, um, Al-Qaeda and ISIS and we were fighting these guys. And occasionally there would be an American who would defect America and go become a terrorist and fight for Al-Qaeda, ISIS. I don't know if you felt this way, but I just, I just gritted my teeth and my eyes got all squinty. Got angry. Why would you leave this great country and go represent something so evil? It just made me angry. And I thought, that's sort of similar to what the Jews felt with tax collectors. But ramp it up a little bit because they had to walk past them and they knew them. Levi's booth was most likely set not far off of the shore. So when fishermen came in with their catch, they would have to stop by Levi's booth and pay taxes. See, the tax collector worked in essence for the Roman government even though he was a Jew. He would tax the Jews their normal tax but on top of what the Romans wanted him to tax he would tax a little something else for himself. He would take a little off the top if you would. And so this is basically the the job of a tax collector made a lot of money but you had to have a lot of, you had to have low self esteem. You had to be a low character to do this job. He was hated. He was despised. In fact, tax collectors in the Jewish religion were treated like murderers uh, and thieves. They were put in the same category. In fact, if a tax collector actually touched your home, now your home would be unclean. So they hated tax collectors. And what's so interesting is, just like the leper, remember the leper was marginalized to the the outsides of town. You can't come in. You had no family. You had no faith. Just be out in the wilderness alone. Well, Levi was in his own wilderness because he had no family that loved him because he was a traitor to the faith and to our race. And he he had no religion because he couldn't come into the synagogue or the temple. He was hated. And yet these are the people we see Jesus moving Towards. Now, what's, what's ironic is Levi's name means gift of God. Isn't that interesting? It means gift of God, and yet we're about to see God give the greatest gift he could ever give to this tax collector, the gift of salvation. Look with me. The text says, Jesus saw Levi. 
I want to make four points this morning in our text. The first one is this. Jesus sees potential in people, not just their current position. Jesus sees potential in people, not just their current position. I love the fact the text says Jesus saw Levi. Right? Everybody else saw tax collector, traitor, thief, horrible person. Jesus saw Levi. Jesus saw what Levi could become. Daniel Aiken in his commentary says this. Jesus saw not the wicked life of a tax collector and extortionist, but the changed life of a disciple, an evangelist, an apostle, and a gospel writer. That's the scandal of grace. Jesus sees in us what no one else can see and turns us into what we were intended to be, mature image bearers who reflect his glory. Jesus saw Levi, and he saw Levi's potential, not just his current position. You know, the problem as believers, sometimes we forget to do that, don't we? So we pull up to the light, and there's a guy holding the sign, and we go, he's no good. Or maybe there's somebody in your family who's made some mistakes. Somebody in your family who who's just can't seem to get it right, and, and there's addiction problem, or there's uh, uh, drugs, or, or gambling, or, or alcohol, and they just can't seem to get over this this, this obstacle in their lives. And you've kind of written them off. Listen, can I just let this, let's let this story be a story of hope to us. Some of you are nodding your head because you know where I'm going. God sees the potential in people and not just their current position. Thank God that is the case. You know, sometimes I think we think people are too far gone. I, I couldn't help but think about the Pharisee in Luke 18. This is, this is us sometimes in this pharisaical position. Look at, at Luke 18 11. It says, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other men, extortioners, uh, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Notice where he puts tax collector in the list. You notice that? All these other things and tax collector at the very bottom, that's what they think of tax collectors, okay? But the tax collector... He's at the other end. The, guy, the, guy, the Pharisee is over here is talking about all he's done. He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But on the other end, outside, because they can't come into the synagogue, there's a tax collector standing far off. He would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other, the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Friends, too often as Christians, we put ourselves in this, this perfect place and we think we're just doing so good, right? We got it all figured out. We sit in the place of righteous people. And we look down at those who struggle. But the reality is, we are all sinners in need of the grace of Jesus. I'm going to keep mentioning this. Romans 3 says, no one has met God's mark. Everyone has fallen. Everyone has gone their own way. No one is righteous. No pastor, no Pharisee, 
no religious leader. We are all ought to be at the feet of Jesus, beating our own breasts and saying, God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I don't deserve to even look up. Luke tells us that that's the man who will go home justified because of the humility, the correct understanding of his own sinful condition before a holy God. Friends, can I tell you, God isn't concerned with what you've done. He's not concerned with your past. He's not concerned with your mistakes or who you've been. He wants to look right now at your heart. He wants to look and see, do you see sinfulness in your life? Do you own that sinfulness? Do you say, yes, that's me. I'm broken. I'm undone. I have nothing. I've done nothing good. I am an evil sinner. God forgive me. Is that your heart? Because that's all he wants to see. A good understanding of who you are before God. Thankfully, by his grace, we can be saved. See, Jesus doesn't see a tax collector in that moment. He sees what Levi can become. And Jesus says something to him. He says, follow me. And the interesting thing that Levi does is he actually follows. He gets up and follows Jesus. Here's the second thing I want you to see this morning. Following Jesus starts with rising and walking. Makes sense, right? Jesus says, follow me, and, and Levi actually gets up and follows him. I want to take a look at Luke's version of this story. You know, we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We call those the synoptic gospels. That means that they give a synopsis, the similar synopsis of one another. Okay, they tell a similar story. Many people thinking Mark is the first of those gospels because the others cover so much of his content. Luke tells this story and he adds three words that are very important for us to understand what's going on. Luke 5, 27, in this same story, Luke says, after this, Jesus, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. Now these are the three words after this that, that Luke adds. Look what he says in verse 28. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Now you need to understand something. Levi didn't just take lunch. Hey, I'll be back. I'm going to go. I like this guy. I like the way he speaks. I'm going to go grab something to eat. I'll be back in 30, an hour, two hours, tomorrow, next week. No. Levi left everything, Luke says. He walked away from all that he had. He walked away from an identity of money. We sang this song this morning so fittingly, gold and silver, Lord, I, I don't care. All I want is you. That's exactly what Levi said. I, I'm going to walk away from these riches because he was very wealthy. We're going to see that in a minute. I'm going to walk away from this power that I have over people, this position. I'm going to walk away just so that I can have you, Jesus. And he leaves everything. I, I was reminded of of what Jesus says about following him in Luke 9, 23, when Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. That means deny the things that, that are all about you. Die to yourself. Take up your cross. Die to yourself and follow me. 
This is Jesus' definition of discipleship. And what we see in Levi's life is the perfect example of that definition being lived out. Levi goes, I, I dropped my life. I dropped my income. I, I dropped my history. I dropped my career. I dropped the power. Jesus, all I want is you. And he is living out Jesus' own definition of discipleship, denying yourself, dying to yourself, taking up your cross, and following Christ. That's exactly what Levi does. Can I just tell you this morning, friends, listen, following Jesus is not about what you say. It's about what you do. Following Jesus is not just saying, hey, I, I believe something. No, it's letting your life lived speak to the world about what you believe. They read your actions more than your words. They see how your life is lived, and that defines who you are in Jesus, not just what you say. Too often, I've stood in places like this and said, oh, I love you, Lord. And I walk out of here, and I live my life like I don't. How many times have I done that? Friends, we need less people talking about their faith and more people actually rising up out of their sinfulness, leaving their identity where it was and saying, I want my identity to be in Jesus alone. God, I follow you where you lead me. I'll run after you and you alone. How many of us have heard the words, follow me? Maybe even today the Spirit of God in his kindness would whisper to your heart, follow me. And some of you will only let it be a voice and then let it go by with the wind. Levi heard the voice of Jesus and rose up out of his sinfulness, rose up out of his brokenness, and actually followed Jesus. Verse 15. And as he reclined at table in his house, this is Jesus reclining at Levi's table in Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. I think this is kind of funny, honestly. Jesus says, follow me. Levi leaves the booth. He leaves everything. They're walking along. And Levi's like, this is how I get home, Right? Jesus says, follow me, and yet he leads Levi where? To Levi's house. Isn't that interesting? Now, Levi probably said, Rabbi, I, I want to throw you a party. I want my friends to come. I want to celebrate who you are. And, and the text gives us some, some idea of how rich Levi was because Jesus, not only is there a feast going on, a party going on, He's reclined at this table. They're eating, they're drinking, they're spending time together. But there are six, including Levi now, that are there with Jesus. And many tax collectors and many sinners. And then on top of that, there were many who followed him. So this is a house full of people. And Levi's house was big enough to handle the whole thing. His house was large enough to throw the party and enjoy it together. Now what's interesting about this is, yes, Jesus was being celebrated probably by Levi. This was part of him throwing this feast. But Luke 15 also tells us when one sinner comes to know Christ, when one sinner finds faith in Jesus, that all of heaven rejoices. Luke 15 also tells us you ought to throw a party, you ought to celebrate 
when someone finds forgiveness. So here's Jesus being celebrated and yet celebrating the salvation experience of Levi as Levi has proven, not just with his words, but with his life that I'm going to follow Jesus. I've left it behind. My identity is in you alone, Jesus, not in who I've been or what I've done. Now, I want to say something here. Sometimes people look at this story of Jesus with sinners and tax collectors, and they go, see, Jesus is condoning. It's okay for me, me to live this lifestyle. It's okay. Jesus was hanging out with people. In fact, Jesus at one point even, even tells the um, Pharisees, you call me a glutton and a drunkard. Why would they call Jesus that? Was he a drunkard and a glutton? No. Because he didn't sin, and those are two obvious sinful activities but Jesus was so close to the party Jesus was so close to the people who were drunk and her, who were being gluttons that he was considered one you see that it's important for us to to recognize this but but make no mistake here Jesus is not condoning sinfulness He's not condoning sinfulness with his presence. He's being relational, he's being authentic, and he's meeting people right where they live. Can I just help you understand something this morning, the thing that, one of the things that God's helping us to understand and, and teaching us at South City? If we're going to reach a lost world, we've got to go to them. They're not flooding in our doors this morning, are they? Broken, sinful people pleading for our help. No, but guess what? We can leave here and we can go to them. We can leave our homes and go to them. We have to be willing to go to them. But, but not with judgment, not with condemnation, with love and relationship. I, I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't expect them to change before he said, hey, you got it straightened up, get it cleaned up, no sin, then I can come to your party. No. Jesus in all of his holiness stepped into the brokenness of this moment and went right where they lived. It's the same thing he's done for me and you. Right? Romans 5a. Even though we were, while we were yet sinners, Christ what? He died for us. Even in the middle of our mess, in the middle of brokenness, in the middle of our sinfulness, Christ died for even someone like me. You know, many times, and there were seasons in my life that I did this, you, you feel convicted to, to uh, want to serve Jesus. And, and so you want to say yes, but you leave a loophole. You know what I'm talking about? I can't tell you how many times I've done diets. Like, Honey, I'm going on a diet on Monday. Hold me accountable. We're doing this on Monday. But I got a Snickers in a drawer over here just in case they go south, you know. Going on a diet on Monday, but I might have to finish off that mint chocolate chip in the freezer at some point. Emergency mint chocolate chip, of course. You ever leave a loophole? Sometimes we do that with Jesus. And we say, Lord, I want to serve you, but I got some things I've hidden over here in case I need to go back to that life. I want to serve you, but I haven't cleaned it all out yet. Notice where Jesus says to Levi, follow me. Follow you where? 
to Levi's home. Our friend Paul Stevens, he runs Exodus.life for inmates, mostly with drug and alcohol problems. And he, try, he, he sees them come out of prison and his whole dream and vision is that those, those folks don't go back into prison. That's called recidivism, when they go back into prison. prison. So he wants them to stay out. And he says, the reason they go back into prison is because they go right back into the same place they were at before. The same home, the same community, the same friends. And guess where where they end up going back to? Prison. Because it produces the same results. This is why Jesus says, follow me to your house. Because we're going to clean it out, brother. Invite your friends. Because they need to change if you're going to change. Jesus wants to do a work in our lives, friends. But it can only change if we follow him to our home. Real change, real transformation in our lives is only going to happen if we go all the way to the root of our brokenness. If it doesn't, it won't last. If you leave a loophole, it won't last. If Levi said, I might be back in a couple of weeks. It wouldn't last. Jesus is looking for abandon. I'll never forget when I was, I guess, in college, about freshman in college, Stephen Curtis Chapman released, for the sake of the call. We will abandon it all for the sake of the call. And it was like, oh, I was just like a Christian soldier. I was, felt so strong. I, but that was the phrase, we'll abandon it all. Because that has to be what you feel and it has to be what you, what you do when you follow Jesus. I'm willing, Lord, to, to leave no loopholes and to even take you to my home, to my computer, to my phone, to the loopholes, to the secret places of my heart and let you clean it out if I really want to change, if I really want to be abandoned to you. Look at verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came to call the righteous, call, not call the righteous, but sinners. Now remember, Jesus has been doing some scandalous things in Galilee. He's healed the leper. He told the paralytic his sins were forgiven, right? He's now calling a tax collector to follow him. Jesus is doing lots of taboo things here in that culture. He's hanging out with sinners. He's also reclining with sinners. This means he's enjoying, he's spending time with them. They're, they're chilling. That's the, that's the modern day vernacular for reclining, if you wanted to know. Jesus and the disciples are chilling with sinners. The Pharisees hate this because the Pharisees see themselves as righteous, better than everyone else, the ones who who deserve uh, God's favor. And the problem is, you know, they, they had the written law of Moses, the Mosaic law, but they also had their own rule or traditions. And what the Pharisees did is they placed their rule and traditions on top of the written law of Moses. And often that would be what Jesus would go after. See, that's that's what scandal means. It's perceived 
offense against morality or a law. That's what a scandal is. If I perceive in my mind you're doing something against what I think should happen, that seems scandalous to me. Well, remember, Jesus has been caring for scandalous people. I love the way MacArthur says this. He says, the Pharisees considered anyone who befriended sinful people to be the enemy of God. They rejected Jesus then because uh, he was not afraid to associate with those whom they considered unclean and unsavory. What the Pharisees regarded as a scandal was in reality the ultimate demonstration of God's grace toward utterly undeserving sinners. He did not befriend sinners in order to endorse their lawless deeds or encourage their rebellious desires. Rather, he came to deliver sinful people from spiritual bondage and death. That's what Jesus is doing at that party. And the Pharisees asked this question, why is he eating with these people? Why is he spending time with these people? And Jesus comes out and he says, those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are weak. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I don't know about you, but there have been so many times where as I read that, I kind of, it seems almost as if Jesus in a way is kind of saying, you guys are the righteous, you're the well. I'm spending time with the people who aren't righteous. They're the ones who really need me. Friends, that is not what Jesus is saying here. You know how I know? Because of what Jesus thinks of the Pharisees throughout the New Testament. He calls them whitewashed tombs. In other words, the Pharisees are rotten on the inside. He calls them stage actors. He says in the Sermon on the Mount to the people he's preaching to, your righteousness must far exceed that of the Pharisees. So is Jesus in this moment saying that the Pharisees are well? Is he saying that they don't, they're not sick or that they are righteous? Absolutely not. Jesus here is saying, I've come to save sinners. That's all of you. That's what Jesus is saying. I've come to save everyone. You think you're better than everyone else. Pharisees didn't see themselves as sinners, but as righteous. But the truth is, we're all sinners. We're all broken. We're all in need of God's salvation. But here's the thing that's so interesting about this statement. You can only be saved by God's grace if you know you need it. In Bethlehem, if you go to the church that was built what they, over what they think is the cave where Jesus was born, there's a low door, four feet tall. And to go into the church, You've got to get way down and go through the door. And why? Many people say it's because you have to enter in a lowly position. See, friends, if you're going to know Jesus as your Savior, you've got to know you need it. You've got to come to him and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I am broken. I, I, am, I am bankrupt. I have nothing. You have to humble yourself. And this is what Jesus is saying in this really brilliant way. I've come to save the sick, not the whole, not the well. Come be with sinners, not the righteous. So in their own mind, they go, oh, not us. When they, actually he's saying, no, all of you. All of you. You know what I think is interesting is this party that's going on with sinners, these people know they're sinners. One of my favorite places to speak or sing is in prisons. I've had the privilege of singing in prisons all over the country. 
And the thing I love about it is when you go in to speak to prisoners, there is no pretense. When you see them and you talk with them, they know that you know they've messed up. They know that, that you know that, that they're in a bad place. This is a rough situation. So there's no pretense. They just say, I need what you have for me. And it's beautiful. The church ought to look more like the prison in that regard, in that we have no pretense. We just know we need Jesus. We just know we need his grace and his forgiveness. Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, the rhetoric Jesus is using here is the same that he used with the woman caught in the act of adultery. Remember that? When he said, hey, let the woman's in front of Jesus. He says, let, let the person with no sin cast the first stone. Was, was he saying that there was somebody there who had no sin? Well, just him. See, the, it was a rhetorical question. In the same way, I've come to save those who need me, the sick. The sad reality is the Pharisees didn't see themselves in that position, yet everybody needs the great physician. And only those who know their need, only those, listen, even in this moment, only you who are listening going, that's me. I have nothing to bring Jesus. I have nothing of any worth, only my sinful condition. Only those of us who see our sin for what it is can know him. Isaiah 64 says, your righteousness is as filthy rags. Here's the last point and we're going to close. I'll notice a few things about Jesus' ministry here to these people. He was incarnational. He was relational. He was intentional. He was missional. Incarnational means that he was in the flesh. He was willing to be with people at that party. Friends, you and I have to learn to be incarnational. We have to live life on life with people. At work, in the neighborhood, don't wait on them to come to you. Go to them just as he did. Build relationships with them. That's the second thing he does. He's relational. He's reclining. He's enjoying the party. They're enjoying the party. He's spending time with them, loving them, caring for them. We don't just shove the gospel down people's throats. We have to do what we're going to be talking about in our, in our uh, equip today and over the next several weeks is this thing called bless where we begin to pray for people who need Jesus and we listen to them and we eat with them and we serve them and then we tell them our story and the story of Jesus we have to be relational we have to be intentional do you know that Jesus had a plan this wasn't just Jesus grabbing a meal or a party he had three years of ministry and every place he went and every moment he spent was, was intentional, which means he was giving value to these people. He had a plan. Do you have a plan for how to reach people? Have you said, you know what, there's the waiter at the restaurant, and they, I know they work every Tuesday evening, so our family's going to wait, and that's when we're going to go to dinner is Tuesday evening to spend time with Alejandro because we're, we're trying to see him come to know Jesus. Or I'm going to serve with this ministry over here, and that's where I'm going to be intentional to have a plan to take Jesus to those in need. Jesus was also missional, not just hanging out. He had a purpose. Mark 10, 45 says, 
that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so at this party, he's on mission. Jesus is on mission. Friends, can I just tell you this morning, I'm so grateful for the scandalous love of Jesus that he didn't see me in my original position, my brokenness, my sinfulness. He saw my potential. And then when he says, follow me, you actually have to rise. You have to hear it and go. As the, as the scripture text said this morning, it's not enough just to be hearers of the word. We have to be doers of the word. And we have to follow. And we have to allow the Lord into our home. The place where we hide the most. So that he can clean it out. Clean up our community around us. We have to be willing to deny ourselves and take up our cross. Is that you? Have you heard the Lord say, follow me? And maybe you're just sat there. You know, I think there's an interesting study. There's so much more on this I could say. We've got to go. But I'll just tell you, there's two stories very similar in the Bible. One is this story of, of uh, Levi, who leaves everything to follow Jesus. And another story of a, a guy we call a rich young ruler, who was also rich and also a ruler. So he had influence. Very similar stories, and yet... When Jesus said, follow me to the rich young ruler, he did what? He left. He didn't follow Jesus, yet Levi did. And you know what? This morning, the Lord still calls out to you and to me, follow me. And just like those two stories, some of you will say, no thanks. And some of you will say, I want to follow. I'm willing, I'm willing to leave everything. I'm willing for my identity to be in you alone, Lord. No loopholes. I abandon it to know you more. Paul said this in Philippians 3, 7 and 8. Whatever I gain, I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Why are you here today? Is this just to check off your religious list that you went to church? Is this some sort of penance because you made some mistake, I better go to church? Or are you here today saying, God, you said follow me and I want to follow you. And I want to surrender my life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Have you made that choice this morning to trust Jesus? If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus to be your Savior, maybe you've heard the words, follow me, but you've just stayed seated in that position of brokenness and sinfulness and let Jesus pass on, but now you hear that voice again, follow me. And you, you want to say, Lord, I do. I want to follow you right now. I want to say yes to you. I'm sorry for my sin. I want to humble myself before you. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand and say, pray for me. I need Jesus in my life. I want to respond and say, Lord, I want to follow you. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, Lord, I want to follow you. Thank you. Anybody else? I need Jesus in my life. I want to follow him.
If you've never trusted Jesus, I'm going to be down front. I'd love to talk with you, pray with you, help you. For some of you Christians, you, just, you have said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm following him. But you still have some loopholes. You still got some things that you're hiding from the Lord. But you just surrender those to Jesus. Abandon it all for identity in Christ. Father, you're worth all that we could bring you today. We surrender to you now. We lay our lives before you. And we choose to follow you, Jesus. Thank you that you see our potential and not our position. Now I pray that you would go with us now to clean up our homes, Lord. That you would clean up our, our community and the people around us, Lord, that influence our lives. And that you would help us to love people in an incarnational and relational, and intentional and missional way. That we would honor you with all that we are. We pray it in Jesus' precious name.